plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to our informational playground. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And we're here together again to party. It is Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m., coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. The best shortcut to the life of your dreams is knowing that you've already arrived. And the only way to really get what you want is to know what you really want. And the only way to know what you really want is to know yourself. So we want you to listen to your heart. Today's show is going to be enlightening, I hope, for you, because we're going to bring on uh, an author, Corrine Zepko. She's the author of From Anxiety to Love, and she has a radical new approach for letting go of fear and finding lasting peace. And many, many people suffer from anxiety. In fact, it affects 40 million adults uh, of the ages 18 and older just right here in the United States. So she's going to help us with those panic attacks and debilitating fear and any of that uh, that free-floating anxiety that you have. If you're a tree, um, a tree drinker, wow, you can tell where I've been today. If you are a tea drinker, uh, you're going to want to know how to plant your own herbs and to mix up your teas so that you can grow your own tea concoctions and avoid all those stores that um, are making you um, buy tea bags, right? So this way you're going to be able to have your own things and that it'll be really terrific. And then right now we're going to talk about making your own luck. But before we do, the miracle moment for today brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity is from a Lebanese proverb, lower your voice and strengthen your argument. And I do want to remind you to go to bethestaryouare.org and you will find our next event that's happening June 15th, the Oakland A's to the Angels, Los Angeles Angels game. So buy tickets. It's going to be fun. So how do you make your own luck or do you make your own luck? Luck is just one of those things that seems to be like a random intersection of chance and talent and hard work all put together. Now, a lot of people will very humbly claim that, you know, they were in the right uh, right place at the right time, and perhaps they took advantage of the circumstances, and whammo, they became a huge success. But attributing success to random chance is really misleading. So I don't think that luck just falls from the sky. And if you think it does, I don't think you're ever going to get lucky. But there are some things we can do to actually increase our chances of having some luck. We can increase that equation because people who have a talent for making luck for themselves 
what it is that they do is they grab the unexpected opportunities that come along. So if we can learn how to identify those, that is some good news. And then perhaps these rules will help all of us have the luck that we want. The first thing that researchers have attributed to finding luck is to pay attention. So when you study attention and perception, there's a distinguishing between a narrow focus, which is seeing the specifics, and an open focus, which is observing the wider, the wider scene. Now, the most important talent anyone who seems lucky possesses is that ability to pay attention on many levels and to notice all the opportunities. The psychiatrist, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Henry Jarecki, he made his first fortune in the late 1960s when 25% of the currency in circulation in the United States was still backed by silver. The bill said right on them, silver payable to the bearer on demand. So Jarecki realized that the silver could be worth more than the dollars, so he collected millions of certificates by paying people a dollar and 10 cents or more for their $1 bills. Now, of course, he did have some money to start with, obviously, if he could collect that much money. Then he converted them to silver, and then he sold them as silver futures, and he had this multi-step process. But once he got some bank financing, he made more than one hundred million dollars from the exchanges some people might call that luck but that really wasn't luck what he did is he was one of the few who figured out a method for transforming just the dollar bills into what real silver was and everybody had those dollar bills in their pockets that nobody turned them in for silver So I guess what we're saying here is you pay attention to what's happening and then you get off the the beaten path, get off the standard things that people do. Mathematicians who study game theory have concluded that in really highly competitive conditions, the best move is often to be unpredictable. So lucky people are often the ones who find a path that the others have missed. So uh, another example would be Warner Brothers executive Mike Darnell made his name in the 1990s by championing offbeat specials at Fox, such as Joe Millionaire and Temptation Island. Those were uh, projects that essentially launched reality TV. The genre was so scorned by the rest of the industry at that time that when music mogul Simon Fuller came to Hollywood pitching a reality show, Mr. Darnell was one of the few network executives willing to meet with him. Ultimately, he bought the show, and that show was American Idol. And that became one of the most successful programs in television history. So was that luck, or was that he was doing something that other people weren't? He was looking for a different lane that would be his own and where he didn't have to compete with everybody else. So working in a business where everyone copies each other He survived because he made his own luck by being different. So sometimes that is the key. Now change the odds. Random events have an impact on every life and every business. And this is something that is important to know that randomness might be just part of the story. So with so many unknown variables knocking around, one of the best ways to improve your luck is to keep taking chances. So you have to keep 
trying and accepting failure because the more at-bats you have, the more likely you are to get a hit, no matter what your skill. And that is something very true, right? I mean, you can always look at the people who hit the home runs, but how many how many outs did they make or fouls before they hit those home runs? Now, what some companies have done is, of course, they will go for things and then they run out of funding and then they have to close down and then they might have to uh, liquidify. But then perhaps something, a new door will open. So two chances at bat might mean that you are close to a strikeout or you're close to a home run. So think of yourself as lucky. Psychologist Martin Siegelman of the University of Pennsylvania told us that if he were looking for a lucky person, the number one ingredient that he would select would be optimism. Early in his career, Dr. Siegelman did some groundbreaking experiments on learned helplessness, showing that animals put in stressful situations beyond their control eventually stops trying to escape. People also have a tendency to give up and complain when they think that they're victims of bad luck. You know, you've probably heard of the um, the elephant story where if you tie a baby elephant's foot, if you put, you know, you put a chain on the baby elephant's foot and then you put that chain on a stake so it could only move a few feet in either direction. As it grew older, it never even tried to move. You didn't even have to have a chain or a stake. So it's the same thing with people. Believing that you have some control over what happens is what fuels your trying. So if there's a potentially good event for me, am I going to seize that opportunity? Am I going to follow up? Or am I going to be passive? Now, I can give you an example from my own life. And that was when I was attempting to get my very first book published which was uh, Be the Star You Are. I, I had already written uh, The Business of Show Business, but you know I never really considered it a complete book only because I was in show business. And, and even though I was selling that book, I didn't think of it as a book for the general masses, whereas Be the Star You Are 99 Gifts was. And I had been writing this book for four years, and I had had already two literary agents, and it had been submitted to upteen different publishers, and it had tens of rejections, but I wasn't giving up. And I went to a meeting with a, um, a girlfriend of mine who really had taken me to this meeting of, of vice presidents of companies at, because she thought maybe we could get some funding for Be The Star You Are charity. Well, each of the, of the guests that were invited, and I was one of the guests, we had 30 seconds or 40 seconds to get up, introduce ourselves, tell us what we were currently working on. So I stood up and I said that I was working on this book and was hoping to get it published. And that was my main goal for being there. After the meeting, a woman handed me her card. She said that she was a children's book publisher and that she thought that this other publisher might be interested. She said, give her a call and use my name. So I followed up. And I don't know if that would be called luck or not luck, but I was. I took the opportunity. I seized the moment. I followed up. I called the, uh, the publisher she suggested. I told the publisher that my agent would send 
a copy of the manuscript and then we could set up a meeting. And it turned out that publisher actually bought the manuscript, bought the book. And uh, two more years later, it took two more years for the book to be published, but it did get published. But I often think about that because it would have been really easy to say to myself, uh, you know, this woman that handed me the card, she really was a children's book author. She really didn't have the whereabouts to publish the book I wanted to publish. And I might have been fear, you know, fearful to not follow up, but I did. So my, my um, advice to you is to always follow up. Nothing may come of it. Something may come of it or something may come of it years down the line. You never know, but always follow up. So believe that you do have some control and difficult moments that seem like bad luck can become part of a happier picture. There was a best-selling author, Lee Child. She suggests seeing bad luck as a chance that luck has come your way. Um, when, when Lee started writing the Jack Reacher thrillers, only after he was fired from a television job in the United Kingdom that he loved, he was really angry and frustrated and he felt betrayed, but he channeled it into finding a new opportunity. So when you're in the midst of a difficult time, you may not immediately see that your bad luck could have a bright side, but always think of a tough situation may shake you out of your complacency and inspire you to take some risks that can lead to unexpected good luck. Because most of us act on only a fraction of the luck-making possibilities around us. So if you want to become lucky, Look for the positive side of any situation. Always remember my adage that failure is fertilizer. You just put it on the compost pile. You grow a new garden. And so choose a favorable future you want and then live it as if it's already occurred. It's not mystical. It's just a way of putting together all the ingredients that make luck happen. And as I always say that if you want to make your dream come true, believe in it. Know yourself. Be yourself, listen to your heart, and just know that you have to move, discover, relax, nourish, connect, and then believe that you can land on the stars. When we come back from break, we will be interviewing Corrine for her book, From Anxiety to Love. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Be the star you are. The star you are. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. 
Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Well, welcome back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This is Cynthia Bryan, your host, your coaching guide with you. And with me, I have another pioneer on the planet today with a radical new approach for letting go of fear and finding lasting peace. Corinne Zepko, I pronounced her name incorrectly. I, I apologize calling you Corinne, is the author of From Anxiety to Love. Welcome to the show, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. And every, my, my name always gets mispronounced. So I'll still respond to anything. So well, you know, I'm the same way. I, I grew up in a big family of seven, and we respond to everybody's name, boys or girls, it doesn't matter. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I've never been very much too technical on the name. It's just just that whole idea of make sure you call us for dinner and uh, give out the correct website when we're talking about our books, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Well, your book is From Anxiety to Love. And I think what is very important is you've been there, done that, lived through it, and now you want to help people on their journey of uh, getting to peace. And You have really used A Course in Miracles to do that, but let's start from the fact of where you began. You said that, my goodness, you started having panic attacks as a child. Give us a little bit of your backstory so that we can understand that you really do know what you're talking about. I have, yes, really been through this, um, the depth of anxiety, and for anybody who's experienced a panic attack or even just more of the free floating anxiety, you know, the worry I've, I've been there and it was really bad for me. I had my first psychiatric diagnosis at the age of about two, which was separation anxiety disorder. My poor mother could not walk out of the room in our own house without me screaming my head off. And as I grew, I grew out of the separation anxiety, but I I like to think about fear as like a shapeshifter. In other words, until you get to the root of the fear, it's free to sort of morph and change and come out in other ways. So even though the separation anxiety got better, I still was phobic of many different things. And I'd worry about getting sick. I'd worry incessantly to the point where at the age of 12, I had an ulcer. And when I got to college, college, the college years are a time when mental health issues surface for a lot of people, and I was no exception. And my sophomore year, I broke down with debilitating panic attacks after being triggered by learning about the death of a student on campus. It was a very sudden death, and it just freaked me out. And I was terrified that that was going to happen to me, and I woke up uh, early, it was about three o'clock in the morning, one night. And I just thought I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. My heart was racing. I was 
sweating and trembling, and my knees were so shaky I could hardly hold my weight as I got down my bunk bed ladder, trying not to wake up my roommate beneath me. So, and you called your mom. Yeah, and I was just so I was so impressed at how calm she was and how she talked you through it in such a loving caring way and I'll let you take it from there because she brought you back to A Course in Miracles. She did. You know, thank you for mentioning her calmness because I really want to give her a shout out for that because she never, even though she may have been panicking inside, like, oh my gosh, what's happening to my daughter? She maintained. And I'm sure she was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She conveyed to me trust that I'd find my way out of this. She really stayed calm and helped calm me down as a result rather than escalate my fear, which had she showed me perhaps what she was feeling inside, it would have freaked me out even more. But she basically, that night, that first night that I had that panic attack, she talked me through it. And you know, we, we figured out, number one, that it was a panic attack. And she brought up A Course in Miracles, which for anybody listening who doesn't know, it's a spiritual metaphysical text. It's been called psycho-spiritual because it very much works with our thoughts in addition to developing a spirituality, a spiritual practice. She brought up this book again to me when I was sitting literally on the cold tiles of my bathroom floor having this panic attack. Because previously she had tried to talk to me about it. And like any teenager, if you ever try to give your kid something, or if you remember when you were a teenager, your parent trying to give you something, you resist, right? You're like, no way, I'm not interested. Of course. Yeah, that's the age. There's like, and that sounds, you know, of course, miracles. I don't know. I think maybe at that age, we don't even believe in miracles, right? Or, Or think that they exist. We're not interested. Like, I just wanted to be with my friends. Like, that was all I cared about. So I had no interest when she tried to talk to me about spirituality. I really pushed it away. But when I was in the thick of feeling like my mind was cracking and I never, I didn't know, my biggest fear was, will I ever find myself again? Will I ever find peace again? And when she offered, again, A Course Miracles to me at that time, in addition to encouraging me to get into therapy... I said, heck yes, I will try anything if it's about inner peace, if it's about you know cultivating and maintaining inner peace, because I knew that any semblance of peace that I had in me just felt like it was completely slipping through my fingers to be you know lost until an unknown time. So that was when I really opened up my mind to exploring spirituality. Well, and you're talking about spirituality, but throughout the book, you also talk about the inner therapist. And that inner therapist, it could be God or the source or whatever. But I think that a big question for anyone who is listening who may not believe in, you know, in a religion or even a higher power or any of that, do you have to believe in, in God or a higher power in order for this inner therapist to work? No, I do believe, however, that you have to believe in love and that love is worth cultivating. Because when I talk about, I do mention in the book that I'm going to use the word God, which will freak some people out, but I define it not as a dude with a white beard sitting upstairs, you know, orchestrating things down here. I define it as 
capital L love, the love of the universe, the love that we all seek, the love that unites us. And so I don't think you have to believe in anything specific, but I do think that you need to believe in love and that there's a spark of love in all of us, even if it's really, really deeply buried, because I think, you know, many people can be really good at at burying um, that inner light that I do believe that we all have. And so the inner therapist is really this part of our mind in a type of therapy called dialectical behavior, behavior therapy. We call it wise mind. You might call it your intuition. It's the part of our mind that knows what makes us happy. It knows who we truly are. And it's that part of our mind that we need to start to listen to in order to cultivate our awareness of inner peace. And I believe that that inner peace is in all of us already, but we bury it. We bury it in fear. And fear, I'm glad you brought up fear. Fear is really the opposite of love. Yes. I mean, yeah. people think love and hate are opposites, but really it's fear and love. Absolutely. And fear is also, um, is also connected to the ego. Talk about the ego and how that relates to fear and, and how the inner therapist or the source or God or whatever it is, love with a capital L, can work to, um, to get away from that ego thought. Definitely. So I'm glad you you highlighted this because this is really important. And I talk about this in my book. And of course, Miracles talks about this. The ego is defined really as our fearful thought system. It's our, our belief that we are these separate selves, disconnected from one another, um, isolated. And the ego voice in our mind is like that chatterbox monkey mind that we all know so well because if you just if you've ever tried to meditate and close your eyes, you know, within seconds sometimes we start to have that just stream of incessant chatter right. and many of time, you know, a lot of the times it's fearful. It is, well, what if this happens or I should have done that or, you know, what if I did this and upset that person? It's it's those doubts, it's the what ifs, it's the I should have. That's fear. That's the voice of the ego. And we operate by that voice through most of our waking hours and, you know, just turn on the news and you'll see the ego in action (laughs) very easily. And we see it in action in our lives every time we get into conflict and have that sort of, um, I call it an ego flare, you know, in our, in our own minds. And so the inner therapist, this voice of love, just like we have a voice of fear in our minds, we have a loving thought system as well. And it's this thought system that is who we are. And it's the inner therapist that helps us remember the love that we are. It helps us tap into this loving thought system. So I just want to bring it back to your point about fear being the opposite of love. We, this is the catch. And this is the the trick with healing anxiety at its source is that we don't have to master our fears. We have to master love. Our fears fall away when we master love, when we get into identifying with our true self, our loving self, our higher self, whatever you want to call it. As we get into that and listen to that voice more, the fear has to fall away. It just, they they can't coexist. It's really one or the other. So then how do we get to love when we are so just completely riddled with that fear and 
having these terrible panic attacks and feel like we can't breathe or having a heart attack or you can't get out of bed. You know, one of your videos, I I said to you uh, off the air how much I enjoyed your videos and I want to encourage people to check out her videos because they're just amazing. And by the way, her uh, website is... Uh, you want to go and see that from anxiety to love.com www.fromanxietytolove.com but uh, one of your videos is about getting out of bed in the morning so how do we find that inner love Mm, great question and thank you for such kind words about the videos I put a lot of love into those so I appreciate that that's a great question and now, it shows and you look beautiful in them too oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you oh so you know, the first point that we all need to remember is that this is a process. I did not one day have a switch just flip and suddenly I was just anxiety free. It did not work that way for me. It was a process and a journey, but a well worth it journey. So the only quick fix that I ever found was a pill, honestly. <laughs> so we have to be patient with ourselves. Well, isn't that what most people go to, right? Most it people is. go to a pill and we have to get away from that. There, I mean, there are, there are healthy, happy, loving ways to take care of it. Yeah. And the pill is not a quick fix. It's a temporary, you know, um, moment or, or, you know, hours of relief. It doesn't get to the root of anything for sure. So we really do need to find another way how we get to that love. So number one, if let's say you're in the thick of anxiety right now for somebody who is really, really having that heightened degree of fear and anxiety and worry and that tight chest and the trembling and the panic attacks, I want you to know, number one, you're not going crazy. You're not losing your mind. That panic and and worry, it all happens in linear time, which means it will come to an end. And one of the easy things for somebody to do who's having a high degree of anxiety as you're sitting, I'm hoping everybody is, is in a spot where they can do this listening right now. If you're driving, please keep your eyes open. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll keep the eyes open, but it's probably <laughs> best to sit and do some deep breathing here. Yeah, well, what I was going to prompt people to do is to just check in, put one hand on your chest and your other hand on your belly if you can, and just soften your abdominal muscles. And already, just by softening your abdominal muscles, you're taking a more diaphragmatic breath. You're getting a more complete breath because when we are tense and anxious and panicky, we automatically tighten our stomachs and breathe from very high up in the chest. So we want to do the opposite. We want to soften the belly. And it can be really easy to practice this when you're lying down. So that's something for folks who have you know, a high degree of anxiety right now. The process of healing anxiety starts with willingness. So I teach three steps in my book, and this is based on A Course in Miracles. The first step is to find your willingness to see your issue differently. And your issue might be anxiety. It might be a conflict. It might be some other problem, depression, you know, you name it. It can show up in many different forms. Step one, find your willingness to see it differently because willingness is the precursor for change. If we want change, we've got to be willing. We've got to really be willing to to bring about that change. So that's step one. And that's the same in everything in life, isn't it? Not just with anxiety. I mean, we can only change when we're willing to change, period. Mm -hmm. And, and some people are carrying around this baggage of anxiety and stress because actually it might be comforting in a way. And that's where we have to look at the benefits that we can get out of negative states. For instance, I used to get the benefit. I realized that anxiety 
was giving me the benefit of giving me an excuse to not do things I didn't want to do. So I had to learn how to say no because I no longer wanted to keep the anxiety because of the benefit of you know being able to use it as an excuse. So we definitely have to look at the ways that we're not willing. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yep. so we've got the first one. We have to be willing. We have and number to two. Willing. Number two is to give your willingness to your inner therapist and ask for a miracle instead. So again, you can use whatever word you want. You can give your willingness to your inner therapist, your higher mind, to love, whatever your your inner guidance, whatever you want to call it. As you give your willingness to this part of your mind that knows peace, you're asking for a miracle. And a miracle is one of two things. It either is a shift in perception. So it's either we start to see something in a new way. We, We shift our perception from seeing the fear in it to instead seeing with love or seeing you know, the love in a situation. That might be one way a miracle shows up, or we might experience a miracle as an expression of love. So we might actually feel a sense of love or peace return to our hearts. We might um, experience a new exchange. You know, If it's somebody who we're having a conflict with, maybe there'll be a shift in that pattern. So step number two is to give your willingness over to your inner guidance system and to ask for a miracle instead. So it's an exchange. You're exchanging your problem for the answer. It's like surrendering, wouldn't you say, is just realizing that we cannot do this alone. So asking for help. And Absolutely. that's a hard thing to do is to ask for help because we're, <laughs> we're, we're so, instead of being interdependent, we're very independent often to our detriment. Yeah, I agree with you. And if we can learn to be dependent on our right minds, you know, on the love within us, then things are going to start to shift <laughs> for sure. Yes. And, and you know, being dependent and reaching out for others. Part of the problem with anxiety is that nobody talks about it. So there's a huge stigma. And we always think we're the only one in the world that feels the way we do, which is just not true. So you sum that up beautifully with surrendering. Step two. Step three is to trust that it is done. So A Course in Miracles teaches that the moment we ask, the answer is given. And so trusting means that we can say to ourselves, all right, I've asked for a shift and I'm going to hold steady. I'm going to trust that that shift is going to show up the moment I'm ready to receive it. Now, this could be the hardest step because in all honesty, we might go through these steps and be like, okay, I just did this. Nothing happened. Now what? (laughs) And this is where trusting is really about um, having patience and also learning how to get quiet because if we're constantly mind, it doesn't work. Yeah. If we're constantly filling up our heads with thoughts and with asking for help and, oh my gosh, what should I do? And I'm giving this over. I'm giving this over. If we're not getting quiet, we're not necessarily going to be in a state to receive the guidance or the answer that we're asking for. So this is where I'm a big advocate of meditation or if, you know, even walking meditation or moving meditation, if you feel like you can't sit still, doing something to help begin to quiet the mind. Well, and you talk about mindfulness. It's really important to be mindful in whatever it is that we're doing, especially when we're dealing with this kind of anxiety. Absolutely. The mindfulness is huge because mindfulness enables us to see with clarity and to see with honesty. So for instance, if we can identify the benefits we get out of anxiety or we get out of some other negative pattern that we might have, 
that requires mindfulness. That requires awareness to be able to see and own, you know what? I do get a benefit out of this, or, you know, I, I, I am willing to own, you know, my patterns, whatever they may be. So that mindfulness piece is really key. And it's also key with being able to watch our minds for when those fear thoughts try to slip in there again, because they certainly will, um, maybe almost immediately. And if we are mindful, we'll notice the fearful thought come in. And again, we can work this process of saying, oh, here's that fear thought. You know, I don't want to keep it. I, I want a miracle instead. And, you know, again, when we're talking about miracles, I just want to reiterate something that you've made really clear in your book, From Anxiety to Love. And that is, there really, we don't have to even believe that they exist, and we don't have to believe in any uh, God that might be scary or anything other than ourselves. And so, to me, that is really important. That's something, because I think there's going to be, there's always pushback when we start talking about miracles and religion or spirituality or God or whatever of that. And your purpose in this book is to really help people get rid of their anxiety by replacing it with love. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, the... The, the word miracle, again, just to um, emphasize that again, I'm not talking like poof, you know, magic, um, something right, just no manifests out of, out of thin air. Miracles are those shifts in our perception and, and they're natural. Of course, miracles actually says that miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something has gone wrong. And what has gone wrong if we're not naturally expressing love um, or experiencing love, we're just listening to that fearful voice again. We're listening to that ego voice again. So it really becomes our work to to master love, to learn how to tune in and drop into the present, which is where love abides. It's only in the now. So we can eliminate fear and we can replace our fear with love. And that is getting rid of the ego. And when we do that, we are going to find that we have discovered this radical new approach that Corinne is talking about in her book, From Anxiety to Love. So Corinne, now that you have become a master at, I mean, I, you know, and you probably don't want to call yourself a master, but, you know, you have really worked it. You become mindful. You've really been working on this. Can you, um, do you still have any anxiety attacks from time to time or when you do, you know how to work them? I don't have anxiety attacks anymore and I haven't had any um, since the last episode I had um, ended in 2010. So oh, 2018. How exciting. Yeah. So it's been eight years and that's a pretty darn good track record. And wow. so especially I, since your entire life has been, yes. you know, I yeah. mean, I don't want to say your entire life, less eight years, yeah. your life less the last eight years. But Absolutely. I, but what this really means is that what this program that you have created through A Course in Miracles and the help from The Course in Miracles is really working for you and for the many clients and um, people that you are working with. Well, uh, Corinne's website is from anxietytolove.com. She has all kinds of social media sites and her YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can go and check that. Her name is spelled C-O-R-I-N-N-E and last name Z-U-P like Paul, K like kitten, O. Corinne, thank you so much for sharing your love Right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. May we all be anxiety-free because goodness knows we're living in a very stressful 
society <laughs> yeah. at the moment. And we can use all the love that anybody's willing to give, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Cynthia, for having me. This, is, this has been so much fun. It's really fun and a pleasure. From anxietytolove.com. I'm Cynthia Bryan. I'll be back in a bit with more Don't Go Away. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. women-owned firms continue to outpace the market, here are a few characteristics of women-owned businesses which have been identified by the National Foundation for Women Business Owners that may help you partner and collaborate. Women entrepreneurs place more value on relationships. Women are more likely to seek out help from others and to ask questions. Women are more proactive to embrace new technology than men. Women value vendor support and service while making decisions. Although women still have lower credit, they have more access to capital. And women are less likely to sell to small corporations. In fact, 42% sell to government and large corporations. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Tap in to the women in business. Turn your profits and your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite. From Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com or to book a consultation, call 925-377-STAR. Be the star you are, the star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, we learned how to release anxiety by increasing our love with Corinne. And that was a, a very fascinating segment, I think, because the population of the world really is suffering from a lot of stress. But another thing that I find that really can relieve anxiety and stress are teas, drinking some very nice herbal teas. But more than just grabbing a tea bag or even the loose leaf things that you buy in a store, I prefer to grow my own. So I thought that. In this uh, segment, we will talk about how 
You can grow your own mint, your lemon balm, your chamomile. They'll be so much more flavorful than the herbal ingredients that you could buy in a store. And, you know, it's interesting because so many things that grow in our own garden, such as rose puddles or toasted sunflowers, uh, they are wonderful additions to your teas. And they will uh, make, you know, they were used in old-fashioned beverages as flavorers. But for just some simple uh, pleasures, here are some fragrance and flavors of some new leaves that you might enjoy. So you could take some lemon verbena and you can steep it in boiling water. And some of the other ones that I do, they're not actual tea plants. I just want to make that clear. There are such a thing as tea plants, but these are just plants that will grow. They're hardy perennials. They do well in sun, part shade, and you can just use them whenever you want. But Try bee balm, and I'll give you a, an example of what they are. So bee balm is a member of the mint family, and it's actually a native of eastern uh, Canada and the United States. I, but it also grows in the West, but you have to pamper it a little bit more because it needs um, soil that will have more water in it. But you can use the flowers and the leaves because they have really complex flavors of citrus and spice and are, make really a nice tea. Another one is catnip. Now, a lot of people think that the fuzzy scallop leaves are just good for cats. They have this lemon mint flavor, and you know that cats love to roll in it. But my solution is you can grow a surplus. You can dry the leaves, and you, know, you can either hang them or I actually put them on a cookie sheet. And then, um, and then you can make a mint out of it. Now, a precaution is... You don't want to drink catnip tea if you are pregnant. So that's something. Everybody knows chamomile. It has these really pretty, small, daisy-like flowers. They've long been used in Europe for teas. And in, uh, in German chamomile, actually, it actually grows to two feet high. And the chamomile that I grow here, it actually can grow wild. I throw the seeds, and then it comes up usually in summer. And it has pretty green leaves and then these little yellow, white, button-like flowers. And I just harvest the flowers of uh, the chamomile. And it makes a very nice apple-scented tea that is really great when you're feeling anxious. It, it, um, it just calms your nerves and it calms your tummy if you have a tummy ache. So think about that one, especially if you are feeling stressed out. Chamomile is great. Now, coriander which actually is, um, it is from cilantro. Coriander are the seeds from the plant that is known as cilantro or Chinese parsley. And when the when, uh, cilantro does something that's called it bolts. And when it bolts, that you'll get seeds at the top. So you harvest those seeds and they lend this very warm citrusy flavor. And of course, you can also use the leaves if you want. You can plant it any time, but in summer, it's going to grow faster. Now, fennel, I love fennel. I think it looks fairly pretty in the garden. I write about it a lot. It can grow to five feet tall. I use every part of it. You can use the seeds. You can use the leaves. And they have a licorice flavor. So that one's always really good. Now, lemon balm, I already talked about a bit. It, it is a member of the mint family, and it has these lemon-scented leaves, 
and it makes a very nice soothing evening tea and it adds body to blends as well. You can take a root cutting and you can overwinter it and then you can plant it. And then, of course, any mint. There's so many different varieties of mints out there. And um, people really do like mint tea. And I like to mix them up together. But how about trying some roses? Now, roses can be made into um, different kinds of teas. You can make a, a, a tea that is from the rose hips. That's the fruit. Or you can use the petals. I use both. Now, what is the hip? If you would let a, when a rose petal falls, you'll notice it has kind of this little bud at the end. And if you don't cut it off, which I always cut mine off so that I get more flowers, but in the winter, I let them just go into hips. They'll turn red. And the hips actually are great for teas. Now, the petals, you can use any fragrant variety that has been grown organically. Just remember, you don't want to use roses that have been sprayed with any insecticide or pesticide. That probably goes without saying. But if you have a fragrant rose, you're going to have a fragrant tea. The rose hip tea is going to be red, and it has a very uh, a tart flavor, like a lemon-orange flavor, and it has lots of vitamin C in it. And you can just cut slits in the hips to speed the drying, and then you crush them before brewing the tea, but our the petals, you just put in your hot water and you just let them brew. I also put uh, rose petals in bath water and it, it makes a really nice bath water. Now, sunflower seed hulls, you can roast them, you can ground them. Native Americans and pioneers, they used sunflower seed hulls actually like a coffee substitute. Uh, you could take a rolling pin over the seeds to crack them. You remove the kernels and then you bake them. And then you can place the holes in a cast iron frying pan and you stir over a medium high heat for a few minutes until they kind of blacken. And then it, it's, it is a smoky operation, so be forewarned. But the aroma is very toasty and it is an inviting flavor. It adds a lot of flavor to teas and it makes the tea a little bit darker. So um, and aromatic oils, are mostly concentrated when herb plants are in bud. So that's a good time to harvest them. Although feel free to take cuttings, you know, anytime during the growing season. Now, the other thing is learning how to prepare your herbal teas. It's usually best to choose a dry morning to harvest the leaves or the flowers from the teas that you want to, uh, from the plants that you want to make your teas from, because that's when the concentration is going to be best, uh, that oil concentration before the heat of the day draws it out of the plant. And then, as I said, you can just brew them directly following the harvest, or you can dry them. Almost all of the plants that I'm talking about, they do well whether they're dried or whether they are just fresh. You can also microwave them. You can set a timer for a minute or less and then watch closely. You don't want to, uh, to burn anything because um, you might want to leave the door open for a few seconds to let the moisture escape or put them on a low oven. That's maybe even better. Or as I do, I just put them, if it's a sunny day, I'll put them on a cookie sheet and I'll put them out in the sun. Or I can also just leave them on a counter and let things dry that way. And that's really an easy way. Now, when using fresh herbs for tea, you can use a sprig, which uh, probably a sprig, 
is maybe like a tablespoonful per person. And you want to tear up or crush the leaves to release the oil. And then herbal teas, they're ready when they're led by the taste rather than by sight. Because a lot of them, there won't be much color. You'll just see the tea will be really light. I also am really big on adding fresh lemon as well as lemon rind and lemon leaves to mix my infusion of a tea. I just think that it makes a, a, a better, stronger more relaxing tea when I don't just use one herb is that I will do more. I think more is is kind of better <laughs> usually. So try a few of those things and see if it works for you. Now, before uh, we end for the day, I just wanted to give you some food for thought because it. why is it that no matter how much money or stuff we have, we never think it's enough? So it might be time to look at our, our lives from a little bit different perspective. So in this last couple of minutes, I just want to give you this this little parable. So one day, the father of a very wealthy family took his son on a trip to the country, and his express purpose was to show him how poor people live. So they spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what would be considered a very, very poor family. So on their return from the trip, the father asked his son, So how was the trip? And the son answered, oh, it was great, Dad. Well, did you see how poor people live? The father asked. Oh, yes, said the son. So tell me, what did you learn from the trip? Asked the father. And here's where it gets good. (laughs) So the son answered, well, I saw that we have one dog and they had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden but they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, but they have stars at night. Isn't it interesting how it's all about perspective, right? Our patio reaches to the front yard, but they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. Again, I'm thinking how how small our world is, right? We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends that protect them. Again, are you thinking about the perspective in this? I am. So the boy's father was speechless, and then his son added, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are, please visit bethestarur.org. For information about Cynthia Bryan, go to cynthiabryan.com. And until we celebrate next week, uh, remember that love always wins and smiles will make, make us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you. And remember to be the star you are. We'll be together next week, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program star style be the star you are 
We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.